I'm going to invite you to power on your Bible or turn in the one in the book rack to Judges chapter four. Judges chapter four. As you're turning there, you know, we thought, hey, it's summertime. And I still can't believe this. It's like summer. The weather's like in the 70s here in Indiana. You could be out doing whatever you wanted. And you came to worship God here this morning and be with us at church. And I don't take that lightly. And whether we like it or not, in today's culture, you may be new to Christianity, but showing up to a church worship service in the middle of the summertime, packing this place out, you are a spiritual leader in our culture today. And that's what this two-month series is all about. We're getting serious about fighting back spiritually and becoming the people God created us to be. World changers, difference makers, neighborhood uh, people who are going to live on mission in a way we're used by God with our time, talents, and treasures. Are you excited? Now, before I get into it, uh, you should have gotten a pack like this on the way in. If you didn't, the usher's going to come through the aisles right now. This is your chance. And you're like, what is this? This is for real. We haven't done this in years. The Mercy Road limited edition collectible cards were released last week. This week, we released a brand new card, the best card in the whole series. And this is for real. So just a little reminder of what this is about. So we're teaching God's word. A generation in the book of Judges grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done. And because of that, all kinds of violence and the worst chapters of all of the, the, the Bible occur. And by the end of Judges 19 through 21, a civil war breaks out. And so we're teaching God's word in simple ways. But last week we studied Ehud, the left-handed dude. And some of you got uh, that card. If we go ahead and, yeah. Uh, now, that one's only going for about 57 cents online right now. But this morning, if you get the Deborah card, that's going for about 725. So get excited. We're going to be talking about Deborah this morning. Uh, the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at Gideon, stage one and stage two. And then this morning, the new card being released. You notice I'm wearing like the, the creative team. Didn't they do a great job with the summer t-shirt series? Uh, you, can, you can pick one up today, but if you get, there's only a few of them this entire morning. I think we've only had a couple of them found so far. The Lamb of God card which is gold foiled. You get the golden ticket. It ain't Willy Wonka this morning, but you get that golden ticket, the Lamb of God. You can go turn it in at the Connect Center, get a free t-shirt and eternal salvation. So <laughs> we're glad that you're here. And that is real. There is at least one of those in the service this morning. Be sure and check it out if you were one of the lucky ones. That's going on throughout the series. We won't mention it every single week, but one of the fun, like kids are trading those, baby. Those are collectible items. We got a couple cards released next week for the first time. That said, are you ready to study God's word together? Come on now. Turn to Judges chapter four. Judges four. Let me recap and kind of get to the heart of what we want to talk about this morning. See, we're going to look at another judge that God raises up. Last week, we looked at Ehud, this guy who was left-handed, who was not thought very highly of, and God's going to use even Ehud to... Uh, bring victory. After they left the promised land and they spent 40 years in the wilderness, they, uh, they left uh, Israel, excuse me, uh, Egypt. They spent 40 years in the wilderness and they go to the promised land. They divide the land up according to the 11 tribes. The 12th tribe, the Levites didn't have land because they were the priests. They were in all the different lands. And it was only a short time later, uh, Judges chapter two, the theme of the entire book, a generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done and everything falls apart. 
But God doesn't give up on his people. He, he, they've been invaded by Moab and King Eglon, and uh, God will send Ehud, this left-handed guy, to go in and save the day. After 14 years of oppression, they're finally free. Guess what happens next? They go right back to their bad ways, and they end up being oppressed again. That ever happened in our culture today? Look with me, Judges chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, now that Ehud, or Ehud, was dead. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Sesera, the commander of his army, was based in Herosheth Hagoyim because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron. These were like the panzer tanks of the day. They would just mow down the Israelites for years and years and years. 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. And then just like before, they finally got desperate enough that they cried out to the Lord for help. And he's going to send Deborah. Deborah's going to be the first woman, the only woman in the entire book of Judges who will be the, the leader. The judge was discerned like judges today, but they were also the spiritual leader for the entire nation, for the community. She would even discern whether to go into battle or not. And Deborah is going to be the one that God raises up for such a time as this. And in particular, she's someone who the Spirit of Lord is so strongly upon, she hears from God and she responds. What I want to tell you, what we're really trying to do with this whole series, and particularly this morning, is we need spiritual leaders who learn how to hear from God. And I'm just going to guess that some of you sitting there like, I hear from God. I'd just be happy to know he's real. I, I, I want to tell you this morning that over the last 20 years of following Christ, you can hear from God. But very few times do we actually do it. And so we're going to address that. And I believe that today we're looking at a physical battle, but I'm guessing you're not going to war against the king of Moab or whatever other country, Canaan in this case. But we are in our culture today in a spiritual battle every day. You know, before moving to, if you're attending online, we're in Carmel, Indiana, on the north side of Indianapolis, Hamilton County. It's the, the newer, nicer, wealthier part of the state. Things are comfortable here. For many years, I, I was a pastor in Southern California in an inner city context where things were very different. But you know what's the same in both of those places? The spiritual warfare and battle occurring there and the darkness is in both places. Hurting, brokenness, addiction, divorce, struggles with our kids and grandkids, cheating on our taxes, anger and animosity, violence and hatred. What we're doing this morning is I want to talk to you, not as just someone who attends a church, but becoming a spiritual warrior a spiritual leader today to say, I'm not going to stand for the evil in our world anymore. I'm going to stop blaming other people and I'm going to become the person God created me to be, to be a world changer and a different maker. And I'm going to invite you to do that. We pray with me. God, uh, we just pause. And I just want to thank you for all these people that came out this morning, summer, Sunday, and we've just been packing out the place. And I believe God is because you are real and you're here with us and you want to speak to us. And so, God, I prepared this message over the course of a week. 
But I pray, God, that whatever you have to say to the individual person in this room or online, that you would supernaturally break through anything I have to share to speak to us. We need to hear from you, Lord. We need you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's family said, amen. Amen. I've told you guys many times about the, one of the times I heard most clearly from God of anything in my entire life. It was, I was living in Southern California in this moment of prayer. I heard from God, moved to Indiana, started a church and three friends of mine from high school were going to help us. One who wasn't a Christian and one who had just gone through a, a tough breakup and divorce and was working for entertainment tonight. And all three of those people were the very first three people that actually said, yes, they wanted to start the church. Two of them and their spouses got baptized. One of them in that tank right here, the one who wasn't a Christian the night before they got married. And I've seen everything that God said in that moment of prayer occur. And it's freaky when it happens. But you've heard that story many times. I think sometimes when I tell a story like that, it it puts it into the like the pastor category. Well, you know, like Eric, Eric hears from God up here leading worship, but a normal human doesn't hear from God. I want to tell you that you can hear from God, but it is common. It is very common for us to go through seasons where we don't. So if you're praying and you feel like God's not hearing you, you have to have faith and trust that he is on the other end and he is responding. And sometimes it's that faithfulness where God responds the most. But I want to give you another example where someone actually heard from God and was obedient to what they said. Anybody remember Pastor Luke? Luke Edgerton? If you didn't know Pastor Luke, he was our youth pastor for four years, amazing man of God, uh, came here, grew up in Carmel, after moving to Arizona, moved back here, was our youth pastor, started a lot of our youth program here. And then we sent him out to plant uh, the Northwest Church of Mercy Road. And excited to say they're doing well. Uh, We're hoping that they could spin off as a separate legal entity uh, sometime in 2023. Northeast is spinning off here on October of 2023. God is on the move in the family of churches. I'll share more about that in a second. But how uh, Luke actually went to plant the church We were down in Florida at this conference, which was about church planting. And Luke had felt God stirring in him for years to plant a church. He really wanted to do it. But he was in a room of 5,000 people. And at the end of that conference, they say, anybody who wants to plant a church, come down front and we're going to lay hands on you and pray for you. And he felt this thing in his soul that he wanted to do this so badly, but he wasn't sure if it was just him or if it was actually of God. And so he prayed this really weird prayer, and he didn't tell any of us. He said, God, if you really want me to plant a church, and it's about you and not about me, then I want you to send some, a pastor up here to lay a hand on my right shoulder at the top of this auditorium with 5,000 seats in the balcony and to pray that I would plant a church. Soon after he got done praying that prayer, a pastor came over unknowingly, laid a hand on his right shoulder, and prayed over him and said, you could uh, know that you were called to go plant a church and that God is asking you to do that. Wouldn't that freak you out? And we got to go back there this March to that same conference and see the place where Luke was called to plant a church. It's one thing when we talk about, you know, hearing from God, it's another thing when it happens to you. The woman that we're reading in this pastor that's going to lead, the only reason anything good happens is because she actually hears from God and does something about it. 
And I want to tell you, if you're sitting out there and you think I could never be somebody who hears from God or understands his word, or I I try and hear, but I don't hear anything. You can always know that God's word is his word to you and speaks directly to your context. So before I get into the details of this sermon, I got one challenge this morning. You forget everything else. It's really simple. We're in the year of the word. The point of going through judges is we want people to really get into God's word this year. That's our whole theme this week. We'll see if you can do this. Some of you do this anyway. But this week, every day for seven days, I want you to read God's word and to pray about what he has to share to you through his word, period. It could be a chapter a day, a book of the Bible. It could be one verse, one verse a day, every day for seven days. And I want to see what he might have to say to you. Because what we're in the habit of doing this summer is we're saying we're done with American complacent consumeristic Christianity where just a pastor comes and preach and I take in and get fed. But I know God Almighty, his spirit is with me and I'm going to go be used by him to make an impact for all eternity. Amen. So spiritual leaders have to learn how to hear from God. And I want to tell you how in this passage, you see Deborah, a spiritual leader in three simple points to take away. Number one, a spiritual leader, one, acts when God speaks, acts when God speaks. Look look with me. It says, now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at the time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. That's actually the illustration with Pastor Shalanda. That's, that's representing the palm of Deborah there that she's judging over people with their disputes. But verse six, then she sent for Barak, son of Abinoam from Kadesh and Naphtali and said to him, get this, the Lord, the God of Israel commands you. Now, do you ever talk like that? I wonder how that'd go over with my wife if I was like, the Lord, the God of Israel commands you, Right? Wives, if you did that to your husband, how would that go over? Yet Deborah here in this passage goes to the commander of this army and says, the Lord commands you. And then get what she says. Go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead them up to Mount Tabor. Now, where was Barak from? What did it say there? Naphtali. And where are these 10,000 men coming from? Naphtali. So They have been oppressed for 20 years. They've been mowed down by these chariots fitted with iron by Sesera, this commander, and King Jabin. They've been utterly destroyed. And then she has the audacity to say, the Lord has told me to command you to go get your your sons and your nephews and your brothers and your family and go fight these people. How many of you would be like, say what? You want me to do what? And yet Deborah had the audacity that when she heard from God, she didn't go, oh, but he's been killing us for 20 years. This is never going to work. This is a bad idea. I can't do this. If I do this, what's going to happen? If they fail, people aren't going to believe in me anymore. My career is going to be lost. She just responds in obedience, regardless of the ridicule that she might face from other people in the community, especially, let's be honest, as a woman stepping out in this way, leading and telling this general to go and to get these guys together and go out and fight the guy that's going to kill you. Part of being a spiritual leader is acting when God speaks. Verse seven, it says, I will lead Sisera, this commander of Jabin's army, this, this king that's invaded them for 20 years, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River. Underliner circle Kishon River. That's significant. They're going to be up on the high ground at Mount Tabor, but he and his chariots are going to be in the low grounds in the wetlands by the river. 
and give him into your hands. See, I find that the truth is, if we're being real honest for a second, sometimes we don't really want to hear from God. Because when God says to do something, then we have to actually respond and do something about it. Let's get real for just a second. It's always easier to talk about someone else's faith than it is our own. If you're here this morning and you're struggling with addiction and you know that one drink is going to lead to two drinks, is going to lead to five drinks, is going to lead to 10 drinks. And the Bible teaches us that drunkenness is not right in the eyes of God and you shouldn't honor, you should honor him with your life. You know, this is wrong. Yet you find yourself going back into it, don't you? Those of you in here who struggle with lust and you get get pulled into pornography or looking at images online and you don't want to do it, but you find yourself getting back into the habit again. The enemy, we're talking about our spiritual battle, wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And some of you have been in oppression, just like the Israelites, for years or even decades with the same sin in your life and you don't know what to do about it. The first thing you do is have to go, okay, God, what are you saying to me about this in my life? And then actually do something about it, to act on it. Which, by the way, sin is not just things that we did that we should not have done. You know that, right? There are also sins of omission, things we should have done that we didn't do. That you knew God was calling you to spend 90 seconds hearing from that person, but you just, like, you retired, you didn't really want to do it. That God was asking you to to give sacrificially, to help a family in need financially, and yet you didn't want to do it because you had plans for that income. We all have these spiritual battles that we face on a daily basis. And in this passage, Deborah's the one who's going to hear from God and do something about it. Imagine Deborah having the audacity to believe that after 20 years of oppression, God was going to finally show up and give them victory. That took some faith. She had to act and not just uh, pray. As she prayed, because she's, she's going to be led to do something, I find that for, for some of us as Christians, like I said, it's not just avoiding doing the bad things. Some of us, if we're getting re- really real for just a second, our whole point of attending church one hour a week is that hopefully we do less sins so that we don't go to hell when we die. That the whole goal of this to us is to avoid the fiery furnace by some good intentions once a week. And I, I want to tell you, you are meant for so much more. That the God that created you, that knitted you together in your mother's womb, it doesn't matter what you have done in your past, that he actually wants to use you to become a spiritual leader, someone who makes an impact in your community, in your family. Do you know how many people I've talked to who came to Christ and then their whole family came to Christ because one person? Because they looked at that person like, what in the world happened? That only God could do that. That's the type of faith that spiritual leaders have that when we hear from God, we act on it. And my theory is, my theory is that we don't really want to hear from God because if we did hear from God, we would have to do something about it. If, if you're here today, I want to invite you to start fighting back to, to not just hear, but to do something You know, uh, Mark Johnson, our lead pastor for Anderson, I told you to give you a family of churches update. Northeast, I mean, they had 1,200 people at Easter. They're baptizing people all the time. Uh, You know, downtown is doing really well. Northwest is getting ready to spin off next year. Anderson, that church, uh, we got that building donated. The renovation is happening. Uh, the, The framing is about done. We're putting in electrical. We're working on HVAC. All the major subs should be done by uh, August 31st. 
We've done some finishing work in September and October. We could potentially be in there for preview services as early as November. God willing, we'll see. But all of that is happening. And Mark and his family, they got called to go to Anderson, Indiana. Most people only respond to the call of God when he calls them to someplace like Carmel. And, and he's going to Anderson and other people literally, one woman sold her, her place here, bought a home in Anderson, is moving there just distinctly to start the church because they believe God is calling. When you hear from God and respond in obedience, I believe he uses that. You know, when we, God called us to move from California to Indiana to start the church, the biggest thing, the biggest sacrifice was my wife. She grew up in Southern California. It's amazing there. It's like paradise. You know, today, this is like the worst day of the year for California. And she moved here and I, every, we would never have had it any other way because when you actually see God work, it makes it all worth it. When you hear from God and then you actually act on it, I don't know what he's calling you to do, but what I do know is that if you respond in obedience, you're going to have stories to tell in heaven. Point number two, a spiritual leader doesn't just act when they hear from God, but knows it won't be easy. Knows it won't be easy. So Deborah in this passage is going to have to get Barak to actually face the, the 900 chariots and he doesn't want to because he knows that's not going to be easy. Look, look what happens in verse eight. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. So he's like, wait, you want me to do what? Uh, how about you go first? You go first, then I'll do it, right? He's like, I don't know that you heard right from God. And then here's what Deborah says. Certainly I'll go with you, said Deborah, but because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours. For the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. There Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali and 10,000 men went up under his command. Deborah also went up with him. Now Heber the Canaanite had left the other Canaanites, the descendants of Habab, Moses' brother-in-law, and pitched his tent by the great tree in Zananim near Kadesh. When they told Sesra that Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone up to the Mount Tabor, Sesra summoned from Harasheth Hagoyim to the Kishon River all his men and his 900 chariots fitted with iron. So, a little recap. Bunch of words that we don't know what they mean. And underneath all of that is... Barak is doubtful, but he decides to go anyway. And because he doubted, he's not going to get to have the final victory. God's going to show, I didn't even need you in the first place. He's going to use someone who doesn't even do battle. But they go to Mount Tabor to the high ground. And it says that Sisera and his 900 uh, chariots fitted with iron that mow them down, goes to the wetlands down by the Kishon River. And the battle is set to take place just like that. But Barak is afraid because he knows this isn't going to be easy. Everyone who has tried has died. And I feel like sometimes when it comes to fighting our spiritual battles in our life, the truth is, you know, it's not going to be easy. So you don't even want to fight it. You know, dealing with your addictive habit is going to cause a whole lot of suffering. And you're going to have to suffer as much as you are going to have victory. And it's just easier just to avoid it. You know, being honest about the lust in your life and the things that you view is going to be hard to admit, and you'd rather just not do it. Being honest about your marriage and the brink of divorce that you find yourself in, it's easier just to avoid sleep in different rooms and not talk about it until the kids get out of the home. Am I getting too real? For some of us, the spiritual battle that we find ourselves in 
It's easier to just avoid it. When did we start thinking living for God was going to make our life easier? 20-somethings, this is real easy. Uh, if, if you want to honor God in your life, one of the easiest ways for you to do it, to set yourself apart as a follower of Jesus, is to actually honor God in your dating life. To not live for lust, to honor your future spouse, to keep the marriage bed pure, as Hebrews said. You do that, you're going to set yourself apart. But very few people do it. Why? Because it's hard. It's way easier just to go out and do whatever you want with whoever you want, however you want, right? To intake and inhale the things that you want whenever you want, however you want. It's easy to do that. The hard way is to follow in the Lord. That's why Jesus said, pick up your cross daily and follow me. That's why the apostle Paul said, for I have died and no longer live. The life I live is through faith in the son of God. Galatians 2.20, there is a self-sacrificial denial of self, humility that comes with following Jesus. I find people all the time that say, I want to be used by God. I want to make an impact. And what they really mean is I want to start this ministry and have a big social media following and be able to have a microphone to communicate to lots of people so I can be an influencer. And I'm not telling you God's not calling you to do that. But if it doesn't start with sacrificial humility, you know, the people that I get impressed by, the person who has all the power and authority in the real world is a person of influence and importance who comes and picks up trash in the hallways, cleans off the chairs, well, runs a camera, the volunteers for two-year-olds back in the kids' ministry gets no glory for that. I want to tell you that in our American consumerist Christian culture, that following Jesus isn't easy today, and it wasn't easy for Deborah, for her to speak up, to do what she had to do, to convince Barack to go into battle and face the 900 chariots fitted with iron because he knew he was just going to mow them right over. And the enemy wants to tell you, you will never get a better marriage. You will always struggle financially. You will always struggle with that friendship. You're always going to struggle connecting and hearing from God. You're never going to be one of those good Christians, one of those spiritual leaders. You're always, always, always. Your dad was, your mom was, your grandpa was, your great grandpa. You're just going to fall in line with all these people before you. If you want to fight back spiritually... You hear from God, you do what he's asking, and you say, I know it's not going to be easy. And the third and final thing, you don't do it for your own credit. You do it to give credit to God. Look how this battle is won. It's almost as if God is telling Barack, I didn't even need you. I was just giving you a chance to participate. Look, look what happens here. Verse 14, then Deborah said to Barak, go, this is the day the Lord has given Sesra into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sesera and all his chariots and army by the sword. And Sesera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. So this commander with his 900 chariots, just like that, is going to be defeated. They're going to destroy all of them. And he's running away on foot. He doesn't even have a chariot anymore. Now, how in the world did that happen? Now, we know it's because of the work of God, but what did God orchestrate? Why did Deborah choose that day? She said, today is the day. After 20 years, you guys got desperate enough, called out to me, and actually were obedient to what I said, but what was it that God orchestrated there? You know, scholars kind of debate these things, but one of the, the understandings that I like is that valley by the Kishon River would have been a much more wet area. 
to have the chariots. They went there because they had gone up to the high ground on Mount Tabor and they wanted to face them there. But when the battle occurs, it's going to happen near the river valley where most likely those chariots would not be nearly as effective. Instead of being on high, dry ground, they're going to fight the battle in the wetlands and those chariots would not be very effective, especially if it was muddy in any way. And God always knew that, but Deborah didn't know that. She just had to respond and be obedient. See, I always find it's easy to follow God in the victories we've already had. It's harder to follow God in the victories we think we're supposed to be given. But let me explain. So I talk sub about in my 20s, I've shared many times in my discipleship huddles, because by the way, in my discipleship huddles, almost every single guy I've discipled, when they first get into it, they, they would tell you they never hear from God, ever. And by the end of it, they start hearing from God and seeing him at work in their life. But I, I, I'll often talk to them about like the, the struggle with lust that I had in my early 20s and how God eventually gave me victory and freedom. And it didn't come from my willpower. It came from crying out to God for help and, and praying and reading his word. And then eventually, like when you drink soda all the time and you stop drinking it, it's hard at first because you had the sugar addiction. But eventually you no longer desire it anymore and you desire better things instead after time goes by. And the same thing is true with lust that I tell this whole story, but that was a victory in my life God had 20 years ago. You know what's harder for me to talk about? The victories I need in my life now. <laughs> the spiritual battles I'm still going through. I don't know why. This was hard for me to share this morning. You know what I realized over the last six months? I'll get vulnerable. That's all right. Last six months, I've realized that I've kind of, at times, become bitter towards human beings. I'm a pastor. That's not supposed to happen but I've been doing ministry long enough. I've seen enough people who claim Christ, but behave differently, been hurt by people. It's easy to become jaded. Some of you got more years than I do. You probably way more jaded than me, but that's what can happen over time, right? Some previous church hurt you. Some spiritual leader hurt you. And you just get in this place where you can't hear from God and you struggle. And I want to tell you, it's the enemy that wants you to stay there and talk about the good old days when culture used to be good and Christians used to be Christians, rather than just saying what Eric was up here saying, that he's hearing stories of life change happening on the summer of recovery tour all over our state, addiction being broken and credit given to Jesus Christ because of the work is happening. And we're seeing that happen in the Mercy Road family of churches every single week seeing people repent and turn towards God and say, I don't want this life by myself anymore. I'm going to admit the struggle I have with lust, the struggle in my marriage, the struggle I have with my kids, the anger I have, the bitterness I have, and I'm going to work on it. I didn't have this point, but I should have had a fourth point this morning that spiritual leaders need spiritual community. That when you're doing it alone and nobody's speaking into your life, which we're starting all kinds of outposts this fall for that very reason, you need community, people that actually pour into you to pray for one another, not out of judgment, but because they want you to become the spiritual leader you were meant to be. Deborah in this passage, she hears from God, she acts, and God gives them the victory. And then they're going to chase him down. They're going to ch chase Sesera, and he's going to end up in this tent. And look with me in verse 18. Jael went out to meet Sesera and said to him, come, my Lord, come right in into their tent. Don't be afraid. So he entered her tent and she covered him with a blanket. And then he has the audacity. He's like, I'm thirsty. Give me some food. <laughs> and she said, please give me some water. She opened a skin of milk 
gave him a drink and covered him up. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If someone comes by and asks you, is anyone in there? Say no. But Jael, Haber's wife, picked up a tent peg. They're about to get violent. Picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground and sailed, nailed it. And, you know, the judges has these horrific things and then they tell it in a humorous way like they did with Ehud last week. The reality is this is what happens when a generation who grows up, who knows neither the Lord nor what he has done, all this violence occurs. And then this man that had been terrorizing them for 20 years, his life is finally over. They're finally freed from oppression. But did God need to use Barak? No, in the end, he just used someone that isn't even in the army isn't even trained to do this because God wanted them to see who was really at work. Verse 22, just then Barak came by in pursuit of Sesera and Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said, I will show you the man you're looking for. So he went in with her and there lay Sesera with the tent peg through his temple dead. Then get this, on that day, God, not Barak, not 10,000 men, God, subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, before the Israelites. And the hand of the Israelites pressed harder and harder against King Jabin of Canaan until they destroyed him. In the end, it wasn't to build the platform of of Barak as this great commander of an army. It wasn't the 10,000 men and their ability to be trained. It was just that God was at work. He orchestrated the moment in time in the wetlands of the valley for them actually to be defeated. And then he uses this wife to end the the commander, the one person they thought they would never reach because he wanted them to see who was really had the power and the authority to answer their prayers. See, if you're, if you're here this morning and you're dealing with a spiritual battle and you keep trying to think, man, I would love to live for God. I would love to be used by him. But first, I need this income. I need this job. I need this money. I need this relationship. Give me the spouse and then I'll begin to live for you. I'll do the thing you're asking of me. Uh, as soon as you give me the house and the car and whatever, whatever the what if is, I would follow you, God, if you just give me what I want. It's like, I, I, you don't need all of that. To start becoming a spiritual leader today, you don't need anything but God at work in your life. And the truth is, for some of you, you think that's not possible because you have never seen it. You've never experienced it. You come from brokenness and shame and guilt, and you have done things you're not proud of. And I want to tell you, the enemy wants you to stay in that shameful position for the rest of your life. But Jesus, in his grace and mercy, because of his crucifixion on the cross and resurrection from the grave, says that you could have new life. The old could be gone. The new could come. You could become the spiritual leader you're entitled to be. But it won't happen because you build your platform and want to become an influential person. It will happen because in humility, you serve God first and foremost, and you're obedient to what he asks you to do in your life. That when you're struggling with lust, you don't put off dealing with it. When you're struggling in your marriage, you don't put off dealing with it. When you're struggling with your mental health, you don't put off dealing with it. When you're struggling with your children and your grandchildren, you don't put off dealing with it. When you're struggling with your finances, you don't put it off anymore because you're saying, I'm going to fight back spiritually. The enemy is not going to steal, kill, and destroy and rob me of the short time I have on this planet. I'm going to be used by God. I'm going to become the person he 
created me to be, and I'm going to love the way he intends me to love. But here's the problem. It's hard, like we said, right? And sometimes it's actually through praying and suffering that we get desperate enough. It was after 20 years that they finally got desperate enough to do something about it. And some of you this morning, you need to have that moment where you finally are desperate enough. You're going to give up your will to God's. You know, I don't share this story much. I've talked a lot about when I became a a Christian or a call to plant a church. But the time my life really changed... I was about 19 years old. I was a freshman in college and somebody I, I cared about uh, attempted to take their life. Praise God, they, uh, you know, I, I had to call the first responders and they got there and they were able to, to save them. But I remember that being the moment in my life as a young adult where I just was like, I can't do this on my own. I, I, can't, I can't live for myself anymore. I can't just live to have a good job and some fun weekends. This is so pointless, without purpose. And I, and I went to God, and I, at that time, my life was totally ungodly. And I repented of all this stuff in my life. And I, I'm telling you, I'm not a crier, but I would cry for months after that, just when I would think about what he had forgiven me for. And in that moment, he just broke me. And I, I went from, you know, throwing the the parties in the fraternity house. Literally, I ran the Tuesday night poker night. I used to make a lot of money off of that. And instead, I started leading a Bible study in the fraternity house, and I didn't have any of the answers. But God started using a broken person to change other people's lives. And I want to tell you, He can do that in your life to become a spiritual leader. But you have to listen to respond and act in obedience to know it's not going to be easy and to give God the credit along the way. And so I want to give you the opportunity right now that maybe like me at 19 or Deborah here in this passage, that you get desperate enough to cry out to God for help, to say, I don't want it done my way anymore. I'm going to do it your way. Will you pray with me? God, I I know there's somebody in this room right now that they've been around Christianity. They've known about you, Jesus. They know that you've been crucified on the cross that you resurrected from the grave, overcoming sin and death itself, that anybody that knows you can draw near to you. We know those truths. We know the good news, the gospel, but the truth is our life is far from you. We're not living to honor you. And we want to just admit that tonight, without uh, this morning, without any shame or guilt about it. We want to do this beautiful act and repent of it. If that's you in the room, and you've got a battle you're going through right now spiritually, and you want the only one who can bring you victory to come alongside you, pray this silently as I pray it out loud. God, I confess I need you. I repent of doing life my own way. And beginning this day, June 12th, 2022, I commit and surrender my life to you fully. Change everything, Jesus. I'm fully yours. We worship you and we praise you. It's in your name that we pray. And all God's family said, amen.